Welcome to Setting Captives Free podcast, where we talk about how to experience gospel freedom. Romans 6-7 says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. On today's broadcast, Mike Cleveland, founder of Setting Captives Free, shares how you can experience the freedom purchased for us by Jesus Christ at the cross. Well, hello and greetings. This is Mike Cleveland, and I'm glad to be with my wife, Jody, and we're going to uh, do this podcast today on gospel hope. Mm. And Jody, isn't that a wonderful subject to discuss together, gospel hope? It really is. It really is. I'm so excited to talk about it with you and to see what God, um, you know, tells us through His Word. You know, we're living in a time right now uh, when we're having such upheaval in this world. The The world right now is in the midst of an escalating coronavirus. I believe yesterday there were 120,000 new cases in the United States. We're also in a time of an election where it seems that there is nothing but fighting and animosity and hatred and everything is just going on wrong in our world, isn't it? But you know, it's interesting, Jody, that sometimes human beings can go through things that make even the coronavirus seem, I hate to say it, but small. Uh, things such as, for instance, sexual impurity in a marriage. Uh, that can turn... Um, a marriage upside down that can hurt the heart of the one who has been betrayed and hurt. You know something about this. Uh, before we get into discussing Romans chapter 5 together, um, the, the betrayal that you experienced was very hurtful to your own heart, wasn't it? Uh, it was. It was. You know, um, these these betrayals that we see in our world today, you know, where we see corruption in the government or we see um, scientists who change their minds about things frequently or um, uh, things like that, where we feel we can feel betrayed on a big scale, right, as a people. But when it comes into your own home, there is a a deep wounding that really happens, and it is so hard. Because it's when it's when it's the whole world going through suffering. Well, there's you know misery loves company, right? There's this where well, you're not alone in it. Everybody's going through the same thing, and so there's this unity in the difficulty. But when it when sexual impurity comes into a home, there is an aloneness that happens, uh, where you just feel so betrayed and and all alone in it. You know, with a heart, it's just deep and and you're afraid you're afraid to talk to people about it because what are they going to think or you're afraid to ask for help or even worse if your pa- if your husband is a pastor or a leader of any kind or his job this is his job he could lose his job now you're looking at financial insecurity so now on top of emotional trauma you and and heart woundings you've got fear about the future and fear about your marriage and fear for your children. There's just so many things that come in with sexual impurity in a marriage, and it is it is devastating. It is devastating. I, I feel your heart now. Um, I think years ago, and of course we've been a long time in experiencing sure. the renewal of our marriage, 
but a long time ago, I don't think I could have even felt what you felt. And, and hearing you say it now rips my own heart up to in little pieces. Um, and yet the truth is that we have experienced gospel restoration and gospel freedom. We tried other things before God showed us in, in such living color, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We tried counseling. We, I personally tried 12-step groups and self-help groups and learning psychological principles. Like, for instance, you know, the neuropathways to the brain and the cycles of addiction. And, you know, I'm trying to find out why I'm this way. Why had I been, you know, all my life involved in pornography and sexual impurity? Why was I that way? So we studied these things, didn't we? And, and what, did, what did that lead us to experience? Mostly frustration. Um, you know, I, I read those books with you, right? We, we went at this um, trying to do the scientific method, right? Or we're going to just understand why we are the way we are, and then we can fix ourselves, right? And um, it, that was very frustrating because everything we tried to fix ourselves with, it just failed. It was like... Um, try this, fail, try this, fail, fail, fail. And then, boy, that just wears on a, wears on a couple, it wears on an individual. I think you must have been as every bit as frustrated as I was. I felt like a failure as a wife. You felt like a failure as a husband. We felt like there just was no, maybe there was no hope for us. There was no rescue for our situation. Maybe other people, but not, not us. Yeah, we were too deep. This, this had gone on all my life. Right, yeah. yeah, the brokenness was too bad. And we, we were just hopeless. We had no thoughts of actually being fixed or rescued. We were completely immersed in the, not only my own impurity, but also in the world's methods. And right. even... If you remember, Jody, of course, this has been a long time now, but we tried the, the religious route. We tried, oh, you know, to do better and to try harder and to work at this and 12-step uh, groups or keeping the commands of God, all these different ways of trying ourselves uh, to get out, picking ourselves up by our religious bootstraps and doing better at this. Right. So we tried the science method. That didn't work. We tried the religious method where we're just going to resolve. We're going to, um, you know, promise each other. We're going to do all these um, meetings and, and steps and things like that where we're just going to, you know, be in the Bible. We're going to read our Bibles enough. We're going to pray enough. We're going to fast. And not that those things didn't benefit us, but, um, yeah, they were not sustainable. So what needed to happen as we think about where we were and as we think about our listeners right now and maybe where they're at right now, what needed to happen was a heart change. Oh, yes. Now, this is very basic in Christianity in the sense of when you become a Christian, your heart changes from one of doubt and unbelief to now believing in Christ as your Savior. What needs to happen when we look at issues of impurity and brokenness in marriage is for an ongoing heart change for both people that we might experience the power of God together daily, right? Right, right. I think at the beginning, I really looked at you like, you need to fix this problem. You are causing a problem in our marriage. You're ruining our lives. Why are you doing this? And it was definitely a, 
orientation of, oh, this is so your fault, and if you would just stop it, we'd all be fine. You know, and I, I'm embarrassed to say that, but it was true. That was sort of my young, immature, um, lack of understanding mindset. And um, it wasn't until uh, we really were confronted with the gospel, with the cross of Christ, and that, that I began to understand and change. And that's what I hope to, to talk about today is, you know, uh, how to make the change, how to shift into or to experience that ongoing heart change that you're talking about. Not just one person, but the both people together, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. It's the only hope there is. Right? It's a team. There, there literally is no hope in finding out all the statistics about why men view pornography, why women view pornography, right. uh, learning about the neural pathways, the chemical makeup of our brains. There is literally no hope in that. And let me tell you why. Okay. Um, here's an, an example. Let's say Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. And he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter steps out. And as long as he's looking at Jesus, he's walking on the water. This is something human beings can't do. Right. You can't walk on top of water. Right. But he was looking at Jesus. And clearly there was a miracle happening. Mm. Now, when he turned and looked away, he, the winds distracted him and he looked away. He sunk into the waves. What psychological and, and neurochemical and addiction cycles would teach Peter in that situation is that there's such a thing called gravity. And what it does is that a body that sinks in the water is sinking because of gravity. Oh, well, that's good to know, isn't it? He's still sinking. Right. He needs somebody to pull him out. He needs rescue. He does. So having been down the route of, why am I this way? And you going down the route of, if somebody could just fix him, and us together looking at all these different methods, you and I together right now can agree that there is no hope outside of and apart from the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. I agree. And I agree. <laughs> I just, if, if we took, we would be here forever if we just try, tried to describe all the things we tried to do, all the ways we tried to fix each other, all the ways we tried to fix our, you know, situation. And, um, and that's just a waste of time because everybody listening has probably tried their own ways. But, but when we finally encountered the cross, when, when we cried out, Lord, save me, and his hand reached down and laid hold of us, and lifted us out, that's where we began to really experience true salvation and sanctification. And then we moved forward toward healing and renewal in the gospel. So with that introduction, let's begin looking at Romans chapter 5. And I hope to provide some help to our hearers. Let's say they're in the situation that we were in years ago, decades yeah. ago. Yeah. And they come broken and they come needy. Here's real help and real power. And so let's start with verse 1, which says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's just think about that, Jody. What does it mean to be justified? 
Um, well, when I was a kid, I was always taught justified, never sinned, right? Justified. Um, so to be made right, to be to be declared uh, right with God. Yes, that's it. It's the fact that God looks at believers, looks at me as if I had never sinned. Right. Now, this is important because I always looked at myself through the lens of my sin. Mm -hmm. I saw myself as an impure man, as one who had ruined a marriage. It was ruining you and I, was ruining life. And that's who my identity was. And that needs to change. Uh, and so for me to understand that I'm justified through faith, that simply means I look at the cross, I see Jesus taking my sin upon himself, suffering under the weight of it, bleeding out because of it, breathing his last breath for me to justify me before God. I look there and I put faith in it against all odds. I say he's doing that for me. He has, in a sense, become wrong with God the Father that I might be right, yes. be justified. Jesus was condemned that I might be justified. This is where it all has to start. It cannot start with the husband's behavior. No. Because the husband, and remember, is still under guilt and, and shame. It's, it's like this guilt is a big undertow, and it just keeps pulling me back out into the ocean of sin. Mm. But once I see that Jesus took my guilt, once I th see that he owned my sins, Right. That guilt, that undertow stops. Right. It stops pulling me back out. And now it says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Jody, what, what had to happen in order for both you and I to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? We had to die with Jesus, you know? Jesus, blood had to be shed, right? Um, there was going to be no peace of, of, apart from the death and resurrection of Christ as our atoning sacrifice that that um, paid our sin debt, right? Yeah, and if you think about it, Jesus was treated as if he was at war, as if God himself, God the Father, was at war with his only son. Right. He had heaped our sin on Jesus, and he had turned his back on Jesus. And it's at like he went to war against his own son so that you could have peace with him. Now, this peace comes, like you said, as we ourselves die with Christ. You, As you look at the cross, Jody, what you see is your husband nailed there. That old man who was impure, defiled, adulterous, you look at the cross and you see him there, don't you? I do, I do, and I see myself there, my old self, my sinful self, my selfish self, myself that thinks only of me and myself, dying on the cross with Jesus. Um, and that is so important because when we stop looking at each other as the problem and we start looking to Christ and his cross for the power that we need to address the problem, which is the sin, right? Then everything changes because now our orientation is different. We're no longer distracted 
right? Like Peter, we're not sinking anymore because we aren't looking at the circumstances that surround us, the the hurt, the the pain, the betrayal. We aren't looking at um, external things. We are looking to our Savior. We're looking at Him, and we're seeing that you are justified and I am justified. We are justified. And now we're united in this peace that Christ has purchased for us with his own blood. And that changes the whole situation. It really, really does because now our hope is anchored in not ourselves or what we do, but in Christ and his gospel. Exactly right. That was very well said. We used to look at each other, right? And I would blame you. It's because you weren't this or that that I had to go do this or that. And that's so wrong. That's Adam in the garden blaming his wife, right? It's this woman you gave me. And I used to do that. You know, isn't it interesting, Jody, that the last Adam, Jesus, didn't blame his wife. He took the blame for his bride. Right and suffered in her place right. and as if he had done all the sinning. Yes. And now you and I don't look at each other. You don't blame me in the sense of saying, if you'd just stop that, if you would just fix yourself, everything would be all right. And I don't blame you. Because why? You and I have turned together and we have looked at the cross together and right. we're sitting here in love with each other now. Now this is a long time coming. But we're in love with each other because we've experienced the love of Jesus for us. Right. And so as we look at this passage, it says not only have we been justified, but what does verse 2 say? Verse 2 says, Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So what's the benefit you see here in verse 2? What benefit have we gained? Access, right? We stand, we are standing in grace now, right? We have access to God. Um, we have uh, a hope and we have, yeah. Yeah, access. Think about what had to happen for us to gain access to God. Right. Jesus had to be barred from access. In essence, when he prayed uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, please take this cup away from me. Right. It's as if he were not heard. Right. It's as if God was an iron ceiling and his prayer went up and bounced off and came back down. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not exactly theologically accurate, but what we're saying is Jesus was shut out from the presence of his own Father, from heaven itself, that we might gain access. Now we can come to God by this new and living way, yes. which is the death of Jesus, the blood he shed, opened up all of heaven to you and I. Right, right. Talks about the curtain going into the most holy place, being torn into from top to bottom, right, at the death of Jesus. And that just for all time, open the door, right? We're, we're now, come on in. And that is shocking, especially when you're dealing with issues like sexual impurity because you feel so defiled. Mm -hmm. You feel so dirty. And you think, I can't possibly, I don't know if you've ever, like, like when you go in into the house and you've got dirty shoes and you look at the floor and you look at your shoes and you're like, ah, I gotta take my shoes off. I can't go in with all this dirt all over me, right? But Jesus 
says, no, my blood has cleansed you. There is no dirt. Don't look at what you see. Believe what I say. Come in to me. I have made you clean. My blood has washed you. You don't stand before me as an impure man and a broken woman. That's not who you are. You are. It says, by his wounds, you have been healed. So Jesus sees us as he sees me as a healed woman. He sees you as a clean man. And we are united together in his love. And we come to him this way. And there is hope in that good news. <laughs> right? You know, it's so interesting listening to you because um, this is the way you have been to me for a very long time. Telling me of the cleansing that I have at the cross. Telling me that I'm not an impure man. I'm not defined by my sin. I'm defined by the work of Christ to remove my sin. And because you've been this way to me, it helped me believe it. Because for a long time, I could not believe that I was actually forgiven and cleansed and made new. I believe it now. I know it. I've experienced it now. Right. But the way that you've been to me like this, like what you're saying right here, and you actually, I know you believe it. You're not just saying it. You treat me this way. Right. Has provided so much help to me in my own life. Yeah. Um, notice what it says in verse 2 here that we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Yeah. We brag about this hope we have. We do. We're not um, under condemnation and guilt and shame. and No, we're boasting in the cross. That's right. Uh, because it's provided real change for you and I both. It's it provided a hope that is living, yes. that nobody can take from us. Because it's based not on how good I'm doing, right. not on how well you're forgiving. No, it's not based on that. No. It's based on the finished work of Jesus as he died on the cross, rose from the dead, has taken us with him into the very presence of God where we are now living together. Mm as one. And I love that, that we can boast in that. Absolutely. We stand in grace. Look, you sink in sin. You always will. We always will. But when we stand in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we look to the cross and receive from him the love and the healing and the grace and the mercy that we need individually and as a couple, everything changes. Now we have hope because it isn't in us and in our performance, but it's in Christ and what He has done and will do. But you know what's amazing about focusing on the performance of Christ? It affects the way we live. Well, it does. That, that is true. That's a, that's a powerful thing that happens as we look at the cross together. Mm -hmm. And we begin to see, wow, He did it. He did. He shouted in a loud voice, it is finished. He did. And as we look at that together, it begins to change the way we live. Like I said, that undertow of guilt is gone now. Right. I don't see myself as a one who is enslaved to sin. The power of sin has been broken yes. in my life. You know what else this does? In verse 3, he says, not only so. So it's like he's going, ticking off these lists of right. benefits that we have, but he's like, we're not done yet. Right. Not only so, but we also glory. So we not only boast in the hope, but we glory in what? 
our sufferings. sufferings. Yeah. Now think about this for a minute. Mm -hmm. Think about the supernatural change that happens when people can actually glory in their sufferings. Mm -hmm. Because this isn't natural. Yeah. It's supernatural. Yes. Why can we glory in our sufferings according to this passage, Jody? Yeah, because it says, We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And so we actually have to suffer. We do, because we want to grow as people. We want to grow up in Jesus. And in our marriage, we've suffered a lot. You've suffered more than I have. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, I do because you're more okay. mature than I am. <laughs> You've grown more than I have, I, I don't, think. I don't know. But the fact is that we look at suffering with new eyes Yeah. now. Look at the suffering of Jesus for a minute. Uh, the suffering of Jesus produced eternal life for an untold number of people. In other words, his suffering is our salvation. His suffering is actually our sanctification. By his wounds, I am healed. Right. Through his death, I live. Right. We look at his suffering and look at everything it produced. And now we can say, ah, that's what we're called to. And so, Jody, speak for a minute to a woman who's suffering right now, because we don't want to make light of this. Yeah. It's been a long time since you and I have experienced the ravages of impurity. Mm -hmm. We've been a long time unified together around the cross. Right. But you can still remember the suffering that you endured. And just for a minute, speak to her right now and use this passage to help her understand this isn't the end. Yeah, well, that is what I want to say is, you know, if you are in this situation and you are suffering because of your husband's sin against you, or if you're a man and your wife has sinned against you sexually, um, I want you to know that Jesus is with you. He has suffered before, right? He's gone before you. He knows what you are experiencing right now. There's no betrayal that any human being has ever felt that is greater than what Christ endured on the cross, that, than what God himself has been experienced, right? Has been through. So there's that. First of all, God is with you. You are not alone. But even greater than that, and the way that you can glory in your suffering, and it is the only way, is to look to Christ and his cross and see his sufferings that secured your um, perseverance, your character, and the hope that you are going to have for eternity, right? There's no way through this. Suffering in silence, we've probably all done that for years, maybe. Um, I know I did. Just suffer. I'm just going to endure. I'm just going to look the other way. I'm going to pretend it's not happening. And eventually it gets so bad that you can't ignore it anymore. It's sort of like, you know, you have a pain in your stomach and you just ignore it and you ignore it. And then you go find out you have cancer and you just can't ignore it anymore. Some surgery has to happen, right? And then the suffering begins where you're addressing the cancer. Well, that's very much what like this what this is like in a marriage, right? You've got this cancer of sin that has affected the marriage. But there is hope. There is hope because we have an eternal God who loved us and who loves us 
who has, with his surgical precision, made a way for our healing. And there is no need to suffer in silence. There is a need to look to the sufferings of our Savior. And I promise you, I promise you, that if you will put your hope in Jesus Christ and his gospel, that you will not be put to shame because that's what verse 5 tells us. That was, that was excellent. And yes, let's close with verse 5 as we think about this. And hope, which comes through suffering, yes, right? Hope does not put us to shame. I want to stop and just say something practical about this for a minute. The one thing that you have never done to me is put me to shame. Mm. You have not made me feel ashamed. Now, my sin itself did. Sure. Because sin brings shame, as it should. That was very shameful, what I did. But the hope of the gospel not only removes our sin, but our shame. Yes. And so hope does not put us to shame. And this is a blessing, Jody, that I've received from God himself, removing my, my shame, but also from you mm. in not treating me as my sins deserve, right. in not shaming me. Because here's what happens when someone is shamed, they re- are doomed to repeat what the shame brought. Well, it's because you begin, whenever we shame someone, that, that person that we're shaming identifies with whatever it is that they're being um, faulted for. So right. like whenever I would, if I were to shame you for your sin, you would, your identity with that sin would be um, cemented, right? Yes. So we don't ever want to shame. It doesn't, it doesn't accomplish right what we want you know what will remove shame look what the rest of this verse says and hope does not put us to shame what does the rest of it say because god's love has been poured out into our hearts through the holy spirit who has been given to us oh love removes shame right and you know what has to happen for you for example to love me and for me to love you, for any humans to love each other, the love of God has to be poured into your heart. Right. Because once you experience this pouring of the love of God into your heart, you're able to overflow that to others. And this is the power of the cross, because I'll tell you, anyone who looks to the cross and sees what's happening there, yeah, here's, a, here's a man, the God-man, who has is covered in sin and shame. He, from head to foot, he has assumed our sin. He has taken on our our faults. He has become, as it were, an impure man. Mm. Though completely holy, never having sinned once, look at him there on the cross. Yeah, he's just taken all our sin onto himself. And our shame. And our shame. He's not even recognizable as a human. He's not even recognizable. You, if you were there that day and you looked up at the cross, you would say, what is that? Right. Is that a snake? Is it a, what is that? Because mm-hmm. he wasn't recognizable as a human, not only from the physical suffering he endured, but because God made his soul an offering for sin, oh. a guilt offering. Yes. And sin distorts. You don't even look the way that you used to look, when you are in bondage to sin, you change something. Your heart becomes hard and it you become different than you were. Right. 
Well, this is what happened to Jesus. According to Isaiah chapter 49, he was not recognizable as a human being. Why? Because he had taken our sin and our shame and it was just covering him. Why? So that you and I could be free. Hope does not put us to shame. Right. The Holy Spirit gets involved at the cross. This is why we're inviting our listeners to come to the cross and look up because the Holy Spirit gets involved there. And the Holy Spirit, one of his roles, is to overflow the love of God into your heart so that you can begin to love that same way to other humans. Jody, as we close right now, and we're going to continue on in our study of Romans 5, we've just started. This is day one of the United Front course. As we continue on in this study, we want to show how two humans who are married, who have been horribly broken, who have experienced adultery and impurity, can be put back together right? Not by all the king's horses and all the king's men. They can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. (laughs) Right. But the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, he can take people who were separated by sin, broken in their sinfulness, and unite them again, right? He really can. And I just want you to know, friend, that this is not, we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about rules. We're not talking about uh, doing, um, just doing life perfectly according to the Bible, you know, that you've got to read your Bible six hours a day or any kind of things like that. What we're talking about is looking to Christ and his death and resurrection, receiving from him the healing and the love and the hope and the peace that you need for your marriage. It's a completely different thing than any kind of program or system. This is a relationship with our eternal bridegroom, right? And if you need help for your marriage today, the best place is to go to the one who's the perfect bridegroom, right? Our perfect Savior, Jesus. So I'm going to I'm just going to pray that God would um, enable you to have hope in His gospel for His glory and the good of your heart and your marriage. And with that, we say amen. This has been a podcast of Setting Captives Free. For more information or to enroll in free interactive courses on finding freedom, please go to settingcaptivesfree.com. Tune in next time for more truth that sets captives free.